Welcome to the Ogletree Deacons Podcast, a brief discussion of compelling legal issues and practical insights. Please note that the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be, nor should it be construed as legal advice. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. Please enjoy the program. Welcome to the Cross-Border Catch-Up, the podcast for global employers who want to stay in the know about cutting-edge employment issues worldwide. I'm Patty Shapiro, and I'm here with my colleague, Lena Fernandez. We're cross-border attorneys here at Ogletree. So, Lena, I understand that you're seeing companies explore the idea of expanding into other countries and employing people there, particularly as teleworkers. What types of employment issues are you seeing companies consider when making those decisions? Our clients trying to enter new markets every day, they want to expand their business. And one of the reasons why they do that is because generally it's more cost effective to have a workforce outside the U.S., given the exchange rate and the high levels of education that you can find outside the United States. So even though in countries, let's say, for example, Latin America, you have strict employment laws with lots of benefits for employees and um, social security contributions. Even looking at those expenses, it is cheaper to hire workforce over there than here in the States. And you're going to get employees who are bilingual, who are very well educated, who understand local market, and that's very attractive for the business. That's an interesting point because I think a lot of companies think about when they expand to other countries that there are a lot of costs associated with employment because like you said, there are a lot higher social security contribution obligations and then a lot more benefits and protections for employees. So, but what you're seeing is that despite all of that, the labor market and the the status quo for pay kind of balances the scales. Yes, absolutely. And that's something that we hear from our clients is because I am hiring my entire engineering team in Argentina, I'm saving the company a lot of money, a lot of US dollars. Had I hired half of the team in the States because of the pay scales that are used here in the States are much higher than what you would pay outside the United States. And even when you pay outside of the United States, you are paying these, let's say, group of engineers a really high salary compared to the local market. And that's very attractive for local employees to apply for your company. That creates a really good uh, retention strategy. So yes, definitely, even with higher employment costs and higher social security obligations, it is in a lot of cases more cost effective for U.S. companies to hire outside the United States. And when they do that, another aspect that they're looking at is whether to have an an office, a physical space, or to have the employees uh, work remotely from their homes, basically, and have them as teleworkers. Right, because I could imagine that maybe a disincentive to setting up in another country where you're less familiar is that it could be pretty complicated to set up a physical work site and 
you would have to hire somebody to manage that work site. So it may actually increase your costs. So are you seeing a lot of companies instead take the approach of having a teleworkforce in another country? Yes, yes, because it's becoming a trend to have teleworkers. A lot of countries, maybe they had some regulations in place even before the pandemic that were almost never used. But with the pandemic, um, countries started to look at those regulations and update those and also issue new ones. So when you're entering a new country and you decide that you want to have workforce that works uh, remotely, these teleworking regulations address several areas. Workers' compensation. What would happen if you have uh, an accident while working? And generally, this means that employers need to have in place protocols about health and safety, which is which are completely different from those that you have in a physical office space. You need to address now the employee's environment where they are working. That's interesting. How is an employer supposed to know what the uh, risks are in a, in a specific employee's home? Governments have a set of standard regulations and What's important here is the employer, like good communication between the employee and the employer. The employer needs to make aware the employee that the employee needs to have a comfortable working space, good lighting. Although we all love working from the couch, that's not the most ergonomic way to work and True. have consequences. So. As long as the employer has protocols in place and educate the employees on how to do a good home office setup and provide information in case, you know, like there is an accident, like which numbers the employee needs to call for an emergency, that's what's important to have. Um, Great point. And that's what like policies generally are looking for. What about issues like working time and overtime? Do these teleworking regulations address how to handle that? What I've seen is they specifically say you cannot contact your employees outside working hours. Uh, you cannot contact your employees. You know, you have to give your employees at least 12 hours of continuous break. So if you send an email outside working hours, your employee reads it, then that could potentially um, result in overtime payment because the employees you know, like technically access the email outside the work schedule. Interesting. So it puts the onus on the employers to limit when they're attempting to contact an employee. Okay. Are there other challenges for employers trying to manage a telework force in this way? One challenge that I've seen recently, and unfortunately with the economic situation that's happening, is when it comes to terminate teleworkers, particularly in countries where the regulations regarding termination are not updated. So for example, in Chile and Argentina, in order to terminate an employee, you have to notify them in person. Or you could send a letter through the postal office telling the employee they're, they're being dismissed. The issue with this is when you are, let's say, doing a reduction in force, 
you're impacting several employees. You want all the employees to know at the exact same time. The challenge is if you have a workforce that's, let's say, in seven different locations in Argentina, how do you ask them to come to Buenos Aires for a random meeting? And that has to be in person? Can they have like a town hall meeting via Zoom or something like that? Via Zoom is not yet a legal way to terminate an employee. If you cannot have all, you could either send a company representative to each employee's location, which is, or you could have all the employees come together in you know, like one place or two or three places and have a company representative communicating person determination. The alternative is you send a letter through the postal mail and you notify the employees that way. The problem is that the mail is not going to reach all the employees at the exact same time. And when you have one employee who learns about determination first, and that employee starts communicating to the other employees, there could be a potential risk that some of the other employees who have not gotten the letter yet may want to protect themselves by availing to one of the statutory protected categories. Someone could say, you know what, I am feeling sick. I'm going to the doctor. No, I'm on a sick leave. It's going to be harder to terminate that employee. And this is not for every country. In Colombia, for example, you can terminate via Zoom. You can send a letter and that's okay. The problem is when you have countries with very formalistic and strict requirements as to how to terminate employees. And this is generally overlooked because when you're entering into a market, you're not thinking, what would happen if I want to terminate or do a reduction in force? Right. two or three years down the road. This is not in your in the business mind, but it's something that's important and that's relevant because when you're facing these critical challenges and in a situation in which you were conducting a reduction in force because you need to save money and then you're exposing yourself to claims of discrimination or retaliation because an employee avails themselves to a protected category, it's something that's not generally uh, looked upon. It becomes relevant in the course of doing business. That's a great point. Yeah. And in some countries, the termination protections, so somebody that says that they're sick, it's not just that you can't terminate them, but you also have to continue paying them for the time that they're sick. So an effort to cut costs and do a reduction in force can actually turn out to be a much more costly thing if you're not following these regulations. Absolutely, yes. Uh, In some countries, you do have to pay for the remaining of the sick leave. In other countries, um, you cannot terminate them. That's it. While they're on sick leave, you cannot terminate them. And the interesting thing is that sick leave, at least in Latin America, is covered by the social security system. So it's not up to the employer to give them three or six weeks of sick leave. These uh, social security systems usually grant 26 weeks, 52 weeks of paid sick leave. So there is little incentive for employees to recover and go back to work because they know that they have secure payment for an extended period of time. 
that's a great point, and we should make that clear, that it's not always that the employer has to pay them for 26 weeks. Oftentimes, it's the social security system, or there's some combination of the two, depending on the country. That's right. From what I understand, there have been instances and in case law where employees are notified of their termination and then discover that they're pregnant and notify the employer. And then in that case, they're protected from the termination. So it's not even that the employer had advanced knowledge and then terminated. It's a protection that exists even retroactively, which is kind of fascinating. Yes, I've seen that in several countries. And I think the rationale behind that is the legal system is trying to protect the mother and the baby. So if the pregnant woman is terminated, then the rationale is that the baby is going to be unprotected. And another rationale is that maternity leave is covered and paid for by the social security system generally in a lot of countries. So it is not a cost for the employer to have the pregnant woman and the working mother. Um, It is a cost that's assumed by the social security system. So those are the two rationales that I've seen into why protecting pregnant women from termination, even if the woman has not notified the employer yet of her status. Sure, sure. And then also in many countries in Latin America, from what I've seen, they're also protected when they come back from their maternity leave for a period which is referred to as a stability period, maybe 60 or 90 days. So at that point, you do have to find a way to incorporate them back into your organization until you can terminate them without it looking like or without it being discriminatory. Yes, absolutely. And I've seen periods longer than 90 days and generally those go those are tied to the breastfeeding period of the baby so in some countries let's say in Costa Rica breastfeeding period is determined by the physician so if the physician says that it is for the health of the baby and for the health of the mother to continue breastfeeding up to two years then that's fine and that's the protection the protected period so Employers have this risk of needing to to notify everybody at the same time that they've been let go. Otherwise, you might have some employees try and claim some of these protections, whether genuinely or not. And how are you seeing companies manage that in countries like Argentina, where it seems like the teleworking regulations don't provide an option to terminate without the mail or an in-person meeting? Yeah, I mean, it's been challenging, to be honest. Uh, The first thing is that we need to set realistic deadlines with the business. Um, We cannot conduct a reduction in force in one week in most Latin American countries. And for Argentina and Chile, let's say in particular, where they require in-person notification, which what we have done is either ask the employees to gather into a central location for an HR communication, or the other approach is we send out the letters through postmail the day before a meeting that's held through Zoom. And in the Zoom meeting, we communicate the employees, look, you are being laid off, you're gonna receive um, communication through the mail, 
uh, stating that the effective date of termination is today and you gotta return your work equipment you are being shut off the company system effective immediately we still run a risk that some employees are going to avail themselves to a protected category but that, those are the challenges that we need to navigate when it's impossible to gather everyone um, in a single space, particularly when you are laying off hundreds of employees. That's a great point. Yeah. So it sounds you just have to be strategic in the approach that you take. We're just trying to navigate this this landscape because the teleworking regulations have not caught up with every single detail and aspect of the employment relationships. Right, yeah, that's a great point. I'll be curious to see if in the coming years they do catch up and maybe offer some legislation or regulations that fills this gap, uh, which seems to be a significant one. Yeah, and I'm hopeful that that's gonna happen. You know, as I mentioned at the beginning during COVID, there was regulation that was not used, now that we're using that regulation, we're finding out what the gaps and the gray areas are. So hopefully legislators are going to catch up with these gray areas. And we're also going to start seeing more judicial activity that's going to help our, help our clients um, to understand the landscape better. Thank you for joining us for today's cross-border catch-up. Follow us to stay in the know about cutting-edge employment issues worldwide. Thank you for joining us on the Ogletree Deacons podcast. You can subscribe to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. And remember, the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as legal advice.